Psalm 102. We're going to read one verse, verse 12, and uh, Lord willing, we'll have some time for us to pray uh, this evening. But in Psalm 102 and verse 12, the Scripture says, But you, O Lord, abide forever in your name to all generations. And again, I just want to kind of nail this down in our souls, and review does do that, that the speaker of this psalm is identified at the beginning of this psalm as the afflicted one. And the afflicted one is weary. And the afflicted one is in distress. And he's going to go on and talk about that distress and how that distress is affecting him. But we learn from the book of Hebrews that the afflicted one is none other than the Son of God. And then at the end of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, we actually learned that not only is the afflicted one the Son of God, but the afflicted one is Jesus Christ Himself. He is the same yesterday, today, and how long? Forever. And that is also here as a quote, if you look down in verse 27 of Psalm 102, when God speaks to the Son, He says, but you are the same and your years will not come to an end. And so it's very important as we look at this psalm, that we realize and keep in our mind who the speaker is. Because our tendency, my tendency and your tendency, is that when we read the Psalms, we immediately think of who? Ourselves, right? We really want to go in here and identify ourselves with these Psalms. And there is an identity there of us in the Psalms But in a lot of cases, it's secondary, and it's secondary because our Master went through these types of afflictions. He went through the afflictions, and we're in Him, and He's in us, and so therefore we partake of the same afflictions. And so primarily, as we look at this, we keep in our mind all the way through that is Christ speaking... And then once we understand and really meditate on Him in this passage, then we can go and make application for who? For us. And we can do that because we are identified with Him. And you'll see that this identification with the servant is in this passage. You'll note just for example, look in verse 27 again, where it says, you are the same and your years will not come to an end. Now note verse 28. The children of your servants will what? Continue. Everybody see that? The son, he continues, and your servants will what? Your servants will continue. And so, and we'll look at that here in just a few moments. So he cries, Christ is actually in his incarnation, partaking of our humanity, 100% God, yet 100% man. Here he is, 
And his concern in his cry for help is because his lifespan is being shortened. And his lifespan is being shortened because of God's indignation and his wrath. And you'll notice in verse 10 when he says that, because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. His lifespan is being shortened. Why? God has lifted him up and cast him away. But it wasn't for his transgressions, right? It was for ours. And all of that is in spite of Christ doing what we too are called to do, in spite of Christ giving himself as a burnt offering. In spite of that, his life is being shortened and he's concerned about that. And we too. Therefore I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your body a what? A living sacrifice. That's what a burnt offering is. You're not making atonement for your sins, right? but you're giving up your life for His sake. And of course, He's the perfect burnt offering. And so here He is, His life needing to be extended is absolutely critical. Why is it so critical? Because the extension of His life will affect the extension of His servant's life. Is his, if his life is not extended, our life is not what? Our life is not extended. Because everything about us and our future is wrapped up in him. He was resurrected. He's seated at the right hand of God. Are we seated at the right hand of God in him? How long is he going to be seated there? He's going to reign there forever, right? How long are we going to live in Him? Forever. You see that identity here. Every blessing that we have is because the blessing has come to Him. So He's concerned about the extension of His life. And of course, we saw that when in verse 25, right after He says, don't take me away in the midst of my days, God speaks to the Son and He says, Of old you, that is the Son of God, you have founded the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands, but even they will perish, but you what? You endure. All of them will wear out like a garment and like clothing you will change them and they will be changed, but you, you will be the same. Everybody see that. That's a promise from God the Father to the incarnate Son. Now as we look at verse 12, the first thing that we want to note is the abruptness in the prayer. All the way down through here, he has been crying out to the Lord. He has been describing his both outward condition because of the afflictions and his inward condition And the result of this, that he is like a lonely bird on a housetop. He has enemies that are reproaching him all the day long. 
and God is pouring out his indignation upon him. And he says in verse 11, my days are like a lengthened shadow. And of course, you remember we talked about that. What what does a lengthened shadow mean? Well, it means the sun's going down, right? So the sun's going down and your shadow's being lengthened, meaning his days seemingly are coming to to an end. And he says in verse 11 that I wither away like grass. And of course, we learn from Psalm 93 that this originated with the prophet Moses when he compared the temporariness of human life to grass. It comes up, it flowers, it withers away, it's gone. That's how mankind is like. But that's not like God. You see that in verse 12 with the first but. But you... I've been talking about my condition, but you, O Lord, abide how long? Forever. And your name to all generations. Everybody see that? And folks, as you sit down and think about that, I personally was challenged with something in my prayer life that I've never ever considered. And that is that in the midst of my troubles, in the midst of my little limited afflictions, in my little limited sorrows that I experience, my griefs of life, I can't think of a single time that after expressing those griefs and asking for deliverance, I turned and said, but you, oh God, you're forever. I've never turned in a prayer to that. Now you may have, but I've never done that. I've never turned my meditation concerning Him to His eternality. But this is what the Son of God is doing. One commentator wrote in verse 12, This is human fragility encountering divine permanence. We are temporary. If we live 70, 80 years by strength, or even longer by the strength of God, that God has given us that strength, it's still just a vapor in this life, isn't it? But think about Him. He's forever. His days are without end. His days have no beginning. And I just think, because He is describing His bodily afflictions, the enemies that are coming upon Him, His inward sorrows, and I just think, you know, my body is is decaying day by day. Does my mind ever go toward the comfort of God's eternality. And I had to answer my own question with the word no. To the best of my remembrance, I've never done that. And I've really asked the Lord to help me to remember that. 
as I pray. The afflicted one's presentation of himself as a burnt offering, his sufferings, his being cast away under God's wrath and indignation, something about that is union with God's eternality and God keeping His promises to His people. And you'll see that here in the text. It says, You, O Lord, abide forever. Your name to all generations. Now look at verse 13. You will arise and have what on Zion? You'll have compassion on Zion. Do you see that? He's basing that statement on God's eternality. He goes down and says, verse 15, The nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. He's basing that on God's eternality. And folks, what we learn here is this. That the speaker of this song is doing something that you and I hardly ever do. And I'll do it this way. I'll I'll lead you to the answer. Is the speaker, the afflicted one, acknowledging his trials? Yes or no? Yes. Is he acknowledging the effect of those trials upon his soul? Yes. Is he acknowledging the impact of those trials and afflictions on his own body? Yes. Is the afflicted one even acknowledging where the trials are coming from? His enemies? Yes. But folks, what he doesn't do is ask God to remove it. In other words, folks, he is aware and he is acknowledging and he does know the source, but he's not self-focusing on its removal. What is he focusing on? He's focusing on what God will accomplish through it. Do you see that? He's gone through all these 11 verses. He's given us the prayer that he prayed, and he literally prayed this. He's acknowledging his inward turmoil, his outward turmoil, the people, even what God is doing. But then he says, but you, O Lord, you are the eternal one. And what you will do, verse 13, is that you will show compassion. And you, O Lord, will be gracious. You will show favor. And you, O Lord, will do something so that the nations, not just Israel, but the nations will fear the name of the Lord. What you're going to do, verse 16, is build up Zion. You're going to do something. Why? Look at verse 17. 
He has regarded the prayer of the destitute and has not despised their prayer. Folks, he's praying for the eternal God to accomplish redemption. For Zion and for the nations. Does everybody see that? And folks, this is absolutely critical, and yet very rarely, and I'm throwing myself here in the pot with you, very rarely do we pray that way. Our concern when we experience sharp pain of soul is for it to go away. Am I right? Go away. But he was a man of sorrow. He carried that about him. When we fall under trials like our bodies decaying, we just wanted to what? Just stop. And there's nothing wrong with praying for that. But what the afflicted one wants, yes, he wants help in his time of need. But what he really wants is God's ultimate purposes to be accomplished in this. And folks, I think that's very healthy for us to learn to grow up in our praying. You and I both know that it's not always God's will to heal us. But it is God's will, if He doesn't heal us, to strengthen us. And I can't imagine, I can't imagine living a life of constant increasing sorrow of heart. Can you imagine that? I mean, my sorrows of heart come and go. They come and go. But his was constant and growing until he went there at Calvary where the ultimate expression of sorrow and grief for our iniquities fell on him. Folks, to me, to me, I I can't tell you how much I love this psalm. I had no idea when I picked it, (laughs) and the reasons why I picked it on a Wednesday night to go over it was what we're getting. Have you ever done that? You wanted to study something, you started studying it, and you you, you got what it's saying, and it really wasn't why you picked the study, but it's what God wanted to communicate to you. In the midst of his sufferings, along with an acknowledgement of what those sufferings were accomplishing in his physical body and soul, his attention, his concern, his focus is on God the Father accomplishing his redemption to the nation Israel and to the nations. And folks, if you think about the life of our Lord, can't you see that? Can't you see that when the Scripture says He set His face to Jerusalem? Can can you see that resolve? 
knowing he was going to die. Can you see that resolve in the Garden of Gethsemane? Not my will, thy will be done. When the cup was offered to him by God the Father, and he willingly took the cup, and when Peter cut off the ear of that servant Malchus, Jesus turned to him and he said, The cup that my Father has given me, should I not drink it? Do you hear that? Do you, do you hear the resolve? This is the perfect man responding under his afflictions and under his suffering. And folks, it all goes back to a mindset. <clears throat> You'll notice here in verse 12, <clears throat> this is the incarnate Son speaking to God the Father when He says, But you, O Yahweh, you, O Lord, you abide forever. Some translations might have the word enthroned. The word can mean to enthrone. The Hebrew term can mean to sit like He's reigning. It can mean to abide as in a settled position. I really do think that's what He's talking about here because of the context. You, O Lord, abide forever. How long? How long is He settled? Forever. And folks, he's addressing God as the great I Am. Folks, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, Moses said, well, the people are going to ask me what your name is. And he says, tell them, I am. All right, now folks, what is he saying with that name? He is saying, it's not I was. It's not I will be. Nothing is prior for Him because He is. Nothing is after Him because He what? He, he is. is. Nothing is before His face. Because He is. Meaning, there's no other gods. Nothing. He is. And this is the one that our, the incarnate Son is addressing as God the Father. He is basing His prayer because I am. And folks, here is mystery. God the Father, who the incarnate Son is addressing as I am, is the same incarnate Son who said, I am. <laughs> I am also. You're not yet 50 years old, and yet you said you saw Abraham? Abraham rejoiced to see my day. I am. Do you hear that? And folks, verse 27 of this psalm, we've already read it. 
When the I Am speaks to the incarnate Son, He says to him, verse 27, You are the same and your years will not come to an end. It's amazing. So as the Father is I Am, so the Son is I Am. And folks, here he is being the second Adam. He is our head. He is praying in our stead. Think about that. When you and I approach death, and we're approaching death every day, what is your concern? Your concern is that you would continue. Am I right? He's praying this for Himself as a man. He's praying this on our behalf. Because remember I told you, if He continues, we what? We continue. All men continue into eternity. But there is a world of difference as night and day to continue in darkness and death versus continuing in life and light. And folks, here's the thing. When mankind looks at the so-called gods of this age. And He says, and He teaches, and He teaches our children. Those gods are just part of the evolution of man. And folks, when you say that those gods are part of the evolution of man, what are you saying? You're saying that the gods of this earth have an origin. That somewhere along the line in the evolutionary timetable of humanity, somebody dreamt up this god and people started worshiping that god. But then as man developed, maybe he set that god aside and he picked up a what? He picked up another one. And folks, if you believe that, and millions and millions and millions of people do, you've lost all hope. Not only in this life, but the life to come. What makes our God different? He abides forever. That's what makes our God different. And folks, our God has no origin. He has no ending. No man dreamt Him up. No man can discard Him. Look at what it says. Look at verse 12. O Lord, You abide forever. Your name, how long? All generations. Literally, is from this generation 
to another generation. Man dies, yes? He abides. Another generation born, they die. God abides. And folks, that is our hope. That the great God who abides forever sent His only begotten Son, the I Am in human flesh. And He died for us. And He bore our sorrows and our iniquities. He bore the wrath of God so that as He lives forever, so His people will live forever. A people who are yet to be born. What a gift that is. And so as I close with just a couple of applications for us, folks, we can be assured that no matter how oppressive our circumstances are, and they can be oppressive, we as God's people can rest in the fact that God can work out His revealed purposes in our lives and the lives of those who are around us, whether we're here or not. Did you hear that? In fact, God does this even beyond our lifespan. Now let's pause and think about that. The afflicted one is concerned that his life will be cut off and shortened, right? Did he die? And in Isaiah, he would tell the Lord, he would say, Lord, I've spent my my years in vanity. I've wearied myself for nothing. The people of Israel, they've not regathered themselves unto you. And God would tell the Son, my glory will be seen in you. I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance. Everybody see that? And folks, think about what God has done since He died. When He died, there was probably only 500 or so disciples. They gathered themselves at Galilee, 1 Corinthians says. How many disciples now? Can we safely say more than 500 on this earth? Do we not hear our Lord except a corn, a corn of wheat die? It abides alone. But if it dies, but you're dead, it bears much fruit. What happened after He died? He was resurrected. (laughs) Do you consider that a great work? 
In other words, folks, we could honestly say that the greatest work that Jesus Christ ever did was at His death. And His subsequent resurrection. Folks, He has done more than what He did in the three years He walked on earth. He's done more miracles than what He did the three years He walked on earth. He did a miracle in you and me. Folks, God's purposes extend beyond our lifetime. A prayer you pray that's in agreement with His will can be accomplished in your lifetime or it could be accomplished after you're gone to be with Him. Do you hear that? A prayer you pray to the eternal God. Do you think He forgets? You're praying to the eternal God. A prayer you pray in agreement with His will, you might see it in this life or you may not, But if it's in agreement with His purposes, will it be done? Yes. Isn't that encouraging? Because it comfort and strengthened our Savior. A promise that God has made to you out of His Word. A promise that He has given that is in agreement with His will will be accomplished whether you are alive on this earth or not. Will you and I get a new body? Well, what if you die? I won't get it. No. He abides forever. (laughs) And folks, God's work and God's person will persist from generation to generation. He can make a promise to Abraham and some 4,000 years later accomplish it. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? You try that. Try Try to put something in your will that a thousand years from now, a descendant of your family will get X amount of dollars. See if that ever happens. But God can make a promise to us and it's going to happen. Folks, we're going to lay our heads on a bed and we're going to wake up. Where? In glory. How can I be assured of that? What God did to the Son. He abides forever. I'm in Him. I will abide how long? He got a glorified body. I'm going to get a glorified body. He was promised new heavens and new earth. I'm going to be a part of that. He was promised to people. Is He going to get them? Amen and amen. Folks, this is wonderful that we can take in the midst of our afflictions and turn our minds to the eternality of God and take confidence that the scriptural prayers that we're praying not only will be heard, but they will be answered whether we're alive to see it or not because He's good.
So let's go to our Lord and 